Well, these last couple of weeks, we have been talking about the church, um, talking about the church in broad terms, what the church is, what the church is not, um, who the church belongs to, how, how do we all fit together as the church? But today, I'm, I'm going to suggest that we turn a corner. I'm going to do more than suggest. I wrote the whole sermon, so you have to do it the way I want to. But... I'm going to say, let's, let's turn the corner here and let's start thinking together about God's plan for the church, God's purpose for the church. We've been sort of trying to define the church and think about what we are and what we're not, but, but let's ask the question, why are we here? What are we all about? What, what should our focus be as God's people how does God intend to take this whole messy thing called the church and mold it into something that fits together like a great puzzle that actually reflects the glory of God? And so the interesting thing to me when I start thinking about this is the more Christians I talk to about the church, the more differing points of view I get if you're to gather a whole group of Christians, I'm talking about people who are genuinely committed to Christ, people who maybe even uh, share the same doctrinal conv uh, convictions, people who are part of the same local church, and you get a whole group of them together and you were to ask them what the focus of the church should be, what our what our top priorities should be, what we should be spending our money on, what should we be spending our time on, what activities matter the most and, and where our focus should be, you are gonna get a variety of opinions. It's really interesting. A number of you here believe, for example, that children's ministry is arguably the most important ministry of the church. Did you see all those little guys that went out the door a minute ago? They are across the hall having more fun than you are. And, um, and the Lord is building into those kids right now things that are going to have lasting impact for the rest of their lives. And you would point out that Jesus made a point of um, calling little children to himself. And when there were people who saw those children as a nuisance and tried to get rid of them, Jesus chastised those people and put the kids on his lap and said, don't ever, ever stop children from coming to me for such is the kingdom of heaven, right? And in fact, he even went so far as to give dire warnings to anyone who would become a stumbling block to children. And he said, it's really about these children and and some of you have children and you're thinking yes we've we've got to minister to these kids some of you have very fond memories of your own childhood and a church that you grew up in and and you have very uh, great thoughts about children's ministry and you might point out that when you reach children as a local church you reach families and when you reach families you reach the community so if you really want to impact a community you should aim at children. And some of you would say, well, but what about teenagers? Seems to me that youth ministry is maybe the most important thing that a local church can do because do you know how hard it is to be a teenager today? 
You realize what they are dealing with, how they are inundated with all kinds of pressures, all kinds of worldly ideas, and maybe you would even cite the fact that 85% of those people who come to Christ do so before their 18th birthday. And so therefore you would say, man, we have got to start aiming at teenagers because teenagers in our society are just getting swept away like in floodwaters and they desperately need the ministry of the local church. You might talk about how those teens get attacked by all kinds of false ideas and pressures, especially by the time they go off to college. And you would say, let's focus our time and our energy and our ministry and our focus on reaching kids and discipling kids and helping teenagers become who they need to be. And that's hard to argue with. Some of you would say that if we actually just did a good job with marriage and family ministries, then the kids would be doing better and the teens would be doing better. And if families are all doing better, then society is all doing better. And if the church's job is to have an impact on society, then we better have an impact on families. And you'd be right. But then somebody would stand up and read to us from Isaiah chapter 61, the same passage that Jesus quoted in Luke chapter 4 when he launched his public ministry. What did he say about himself? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And you would point out that our society is filled with hurting people. Hospital rooms are jammed with people who are seriously ill. There are homeless people living on the streets who don't have a clue how they can get beyond the situation that they're in or having trouble even just finding food or a place to stay. The prisons are filled of people who are in prison who desperately need a friend, a visitor, an encourager of some kind. You would point out that there are orphans and there are widows and there are immigrants and there are socially and economically disadvantaged people all over the place. And if the church doesn't stand as a beacon to hurting people, then what in the world are we doing here? And you remind us that Jesus said the best way to tell the sheep from the goats is to watch how they care for people who are hurting and underprivileged and underrepresented. And some of you would try to put an end to this whole debate because you would just say, you know what? Remember what Jesus said? He said, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And you would point out, rightly so, that the American church has dropped the ball terribly when it comes to this issue of prayer, that we're so busy running around doing things that we never have time to drop on our knees and just give ourselves to the Lord in prayer. And you would point out that every great movement of God has always been preceded by extraordinary prayer on the part of God's people. And you would say, if the church isn't about prayer, then what in the world are we about? But then somebody probably somebody in the worship team, would chime in and remind us that as, isn't prayer just a subset of worship anyway? I mean, isn't it true that life is about worship? 
And if we're not serious about worshiping God, then how in the world are we ever, ever going to be pleasing to God? And while we're all debating all the merits of all these different ministries, somebody would undoubtedly stand up and remind us that there is really only one reason why we're even still here. Really only one reason why God doesn't just rapture us into heaven at the moment that we get saved, and that reason is evangelism that there are lost people everywhere, and if we as the church are not bringing the good news to the lost, then we're probably spinning our wheels with anything else that we're doing, and that the scripture says the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he is waiting for people to come to him. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some count slowness to be, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so you'd say evangelism is really what the church is supposed to be about. And finally, somebody would stand up with a Bible in their hand and say the only reason we can make any of these arguments is because we read it in the scripture. And if we're not about teaching, proclaiming, and, uh, and confronting people with the word of God, and if we're not about conforming our lives to the word of God, then we have no chance with God. We're going to miss him completely because the whole message of this life is contained in this book. So we better be a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-declaring church. Now here's my question. Which one of you is right? The answer to that question is yes. It is not by accident, you guys, that we don't all see these things the same way. It's actually by God's design. It's not a mistake that we have different passions and different gifts. In this beautiful mosaic that God is making called the church, God has designed us to be a family of people with different passions. And he's equipped us with different gifts so we can pursue those passions. And then he brings us together as a group so that all of that fits together in one package. Now, we're going to go back today and we're going to revisit a passage that we just looked at briefly a couple weeks ago. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's in your New Testament. So you get past the big books at the beginning, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Then you get to Romans, where we spent about 19 years a little while ago, so you know where that's at. And then get to 1 Corinthians, which comes next. And I want you to, I want you to join us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and again, this is going to sound a little familiar if you were here a couple weeks ago because we just use this as a, as a place to glance and get a sense of something, but today we're going to dive into it a little bit more, and we're going to pick it up in verse 4. So we're 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. And Paul writes this to the church at Corinth, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Watch this. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you're a person who treats your Bible like a textbook, which I do, I would encourage you to underline, highlight, put a star by where it says common good. 
Because if you miss that point, you're going to miss the whole point of the thing. We can easily get into 1 Corinthians 12 and go, oh, it's about spiritual gifts. There's a list of gifts and which gifts are active today and which gifts do I have and which gifts are we lacking in our church. That's all important. But if you miss the fact that the gifts are not given to us as individuals, but are given to us as a church, you're going to miss the whole point. When you become a Christian, You are adopted into the family of God, but that's not all. You're also enlisted into the army of God. And that means there's going to be spiritual battles for you to fight in, undoubtedly. But it also means this. You are going to be dedicating yourself to the things that God says are his mission for the church in this world. Oh, that I thought it was on our loudspeaker. That's okay. I'm like, oh. This is God confirming that what I'm saying. <laughs> Try to learn to listen to the Spirit more. So, so here's the thing. God equips us in various specific ways, right? There is nobody else on this planet who has your personality, your list of experiences, your gift mix, and your passions. There is nobody else, never has been anyone else, and never will be anyone else who is a puzzle piece that is shaped in exactly the way that you are shaped to fill out the puzzle. Nobody. You've been specifically designed, my friends, and you have been gifted by God to fit in a very specific place in the picture. Now, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 12, but just go a few pages to the right and find the book of Ephesians. And I want us to visit Ephesians chapter 2 just briefly. And this is a passage that, that talks about the nature of salvation, how it's all by grace and faith and not by works. But then after it says that salvation is by grace and it is not by works, you didn't do anything to earn it, so let's not be boasting about it. It then talks about works. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 10, book of Ephesians. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And I want you to notice something. Whenever we talk about this verse, we often talk about this whole picture of God as an artist and he's painting a painting called you and you are a masterpiece and you're just the way he's designed you and all of that is appropriate and all of that is correct. But I do want you to notice something. In verse 10, it doesn't say for you are his workmanship. It says for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You see, the picture here is that God designs his church in such a way that he has all of these beautiful, beautiful little pieces of art that he has perfectly created and designed, and then he brings them together, and really the best picture I can think of of that is a mosaic where each little tile is designed by God to look a certain way and it is special in and of itself, but it really finds its full expression when you bring those tiles together in the right way, in the right place, and then you have this incredible work of art. We are his masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. We were created for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And why has God gifted you so specifically? Go back to 1 Corinthians. I told you, keep your finger there. 1 Corinthians 12. And let's look again at verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, think of it this way. The spiritual gifts that God gives to every individual Christian are not given to that believer. They are given through that believer to the body of Christ. It's all for the common good. It's all for the common purpose. It's all for the work of God through his church. And any of us who are running around like individuals carrying a flag and charging into hell with a water pistol thinking we're going to take this thing on our own, we have misunderstood the scripture completely because God said, I put you together in a family and I'm going to use you together as an army for this battle that I have called life. Now, skip down to verse 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, And we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. Now, if you've been a Christian for very long... This is not a new concept to you. In fact, this idea of the church being like a body has become so commonly known to us that oftentimes we don't even call it the church, we call it the body or the body of Christ. And we forget that this is actually a metaphor designed to help us think that it's like a human body, right? All many members, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that come together and form one body, And we've heard this, we've read it in our Bibles, and we've probably heard sermons preached on this, and none of that is the problem. Because if we're honest, we'd have to admit that though we know this, and though we have heard this, and though we have adopted this vernacular, we actually don't live as if we believe it. Most of us don't really see ourselves the way the scripture describes us here. There are people in every local church who kind of seem to think it's all about them. Don't look, don't look around. That there, there are people in just about every church who just seem to have this idea that um, it's, what about, it's about what I want, it's about what I believe, it's, it's about what I contribute, it's about uh, what I'm passionate about, 
We have our pet ministries, our pet projects, our favorite activities, and our own idea about what needs to be done and what needs to happen. And, and there are a lot of people who, who pray for the church, but only with regard to that specific thing that they're passionate about or that they're involved in or that they care the most about. We may only volunteer for the ministries that um, are the most important to us. Some of us even go so far as to earmark our offerings so that they can only be used or spent on the things that we want to be done. And there are people in churches everywhere who are jockeying for uh, positions of leadership and power, trying to gain power in the local church so that they can make it all about what they think it should be all about. Some of ourselves... Some of us see ourselves as the center of the whole thing. But I'm going to be honest with you. In my experience, that's not the problem. I've only been doing this church thing for like 40 years, so maybe I'm wrong. But in my experience, the problem is not those people who think they're the center of everything. Because the truth of the matter is, people like that... um, They stir up trouble in churches until it becomes so uncomfortable that they leave and go somewhere else and stir up trouble somewhere else. That's not the problem in local churches. Um, The problem is the other side of the coin. The problem is those of us who read this passage about the body and, and the body being many parts and that each part is important, and we read it, and we nod our heads, and we go, yeah, that's probably true, except I don't really see myself as being very important in all of this. I don't really see myself as central to anything that God is doing in the church. In fact, um, I'm not an essential part of the body at all. We think of ourselves more as spectators than we do as participants, We relate to the foot in verse 15 that says, you know what, I wish I was a hand, but since I'm not a hand, oh well, I'm not a part of the body. We relate to um, the ear that says, oh, you know, since I'm not an eye, I'm not that big of a deal. I'm not that important. It doesn't really matter. Um, And I'm not saying that we're intentionally doing that or we're intentionally holding back or we're just saying, I I don't want to be a part of this. It's just that we honestly don't think that we have that much to offer, especially when we look around and we see remarkably gifted people and we go, well, I couldn't do that. I, I mean, what is the church about? Programs. It's about uh, singers who sing really well and musicians who play really well and preachers who preach really well and children's ministers who just have a way with kids and youth pastors who can just get teenagers focused on good things and help them grow. And I'm not any of those things. And so those are the people who are important in the body and the rest of us are the audience. And that's honestly how most of us think about it. Now, hopefully, you have enough background in Scripture where you would not actually say that out loud. But that's how we live. And I think we need to be challenged on this. And I think God's word here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is trying to challenge us on this. We see ourselves primarily in the local church as consumers and not ministers, 
We attend those meetings that meet our needs. We enjoy the programs that are aimed at us. We throw our support behind those things that interest us the most, but we never really see ourselves as an essential part of the church. We never even consider how I might be gifted by God for this plan that he has for the church. After all, the way we do church in 21st century America is pretty straightforward. We hire professional ministers and they minister to us. And that's what it is. And I'm just here to tell you that to the degree that any of us thinks that, we are not thinking biblically. And we're going to get into this in more detail next week, so bear with me. But I just want to say, we have these professional ministers who are paid to do the work of the ministry. We have some very special and committed volunteers who were just like, wow, that guy is so gifted. That lady is so committed. I can't believe they give so much time, so much energy. And we count on them to do the work of the ministry. And let me take it one step further. Some of you are sitting here, and while I am talking about doing the work of the ministry, you are thinking about the programs of the local church. And I'm here to tell you, the programs of the local church are about 2% of the ministry. God has called us to walk and talk for Jesus outside the walls of this building. And so those things about all those hurting people in hospitals and prisons and the orphans that need to be adopted and fostered and, and all the various ways that people can be served, that's the work of the ministry. The evangelism that we talked about, sharing the love of Jesus and what he's done in my life and sharing that with other people, that doesn't usually happen when we gather together on a Sunday morning for worship, but that's the work of the ministry, setting an example for your children of what it is to be a person of integrity, a person who puts Christ first, a person of prayer, that's the work of the ministry. So when I start talking about this whole thing about, hey, we're not consumers, we're ministers, and I start saying that we need to see ourselves as those who do the work of the ministry, let me just be straight up. I'm not recruiting people for more programs at church. What I'm saying is you are gifted and together we are gifted for the work of the ministry, the mission of God in the world. And the temptation is for us to think and behave the way that, that recognizes this idea that I'm just a consumer. And that, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on these little high horse things for a second. That, by the way, has gotten worse in the last couple of years. Not just, not just Grace Fellowship, I'm just talking about every pastor I know would say this has gotten worse in the last couple of years because what's happened is that in the last couple of years, circumstances have driven churches to be able to um, broadcast in one way or another their worship services, which is an incredible blessing. It's an incredible thing. I was just talking to someone out front today about how what an incredible blessing that when you are home because you're sick, when you live a great distance away, when something comes up that keeps you from being here on Sunday morning, you don't have to miss the worship service. You can just tune in using your phone or 
your TV, your iPad, or whatever the case may be. I am so incredibly grateful for that, and I am so blessed by that. But let me just say that there is another side to that. The online ministry has been a great blessing in a whole lot of ways to a whole lot of people. It's a great opportunity, but it was never meant to replace involvement with the body of Christ. That's why we're stressing these grace groups. I I just can't stress enough how valuable and significant it is to weave your life together with a group of other believers in your local church and allow God to do miraculous work in the context of those relationships. You see, my friends, every one of us is an essential part of what God wants to do in and through Grace Fellowships. Your gifts matter. And so does your passion. And we're going to dig deeper into that next week, but for now, I just want to make an important point, and I want to ask a couple of important questions for you to think about. Here's the important point. Isn't it helpful when the pastor says, oh, by the way, this is important, so you want to listen to this. Here's the important point. There is no other activity in this world that is more important than the mission of the local church period. Jesus is the hope of the world. And the church is God's vessel to connect Jesus to that broken world. We, not I, but we are the hands and feet of Christ. He touches people using our hands. He loves people through our hearts. He influences people with the words that come out of our mouths. He comforts people with our compassion. And it takes the collective effort of the whole church to accomplish all of that in a world that is desperate for the touch of a God who loves them so much that he sent his only son to pay the price for our sin. And let me just say, the government cannot do the job of the church. Charities cannot do the job of the church. Big donors cannot do the job of the church. Corporations cannot do the job of the church. And no one individual can do the job of the church, no matter how gifted he or she may be. That can't be done through one person. I've said this many times before, but the church is God's plan A for reaching a lost world and there is no plan B. It takes every one of us to carry out that plan. So that's my important point. Here's my two important questions for you to think about. How has God gifted you to be a part of his work in the world? Are you an eye, an ear, a hand, a foot? Are, are, are you a teacher, an administrator, a, a a hospitable host? Are are you a giver that God's entrusted with a lot of resources? Are you a server who just likes to come alongside and help people and help things happen? Are you a musician? Are you a leader? Are you gifted for ministries of compassion? Um, Are are you a helps person? Are you a counselor? Are you um, a person who can come alongside and encourage those who are hurting? Are you you great with working with children? Um, Are are you gifted for caring for the sick? Are, Are you a blessing to the elderly around you and your heart is compassionate for what they're going through? Every one of us has been gifted 
And every one of us is an indispensable part of God's plan. Where do you fit? It's not a question we can answer right away. It's not a question we just pick from the thing and say, I think I'll fit there. It has to do about how God's designed you. And it might take some time and some thought and some prayer and some discussion with people who know you well to get a sense. It might even try, it might even mean trying some things and going, wow, I'm terrible at this. Or you know what? People seem to be blessed when I do that. But we gotta ask ourselves, where do I fit? Not because I want to fit somewhere, but because God has designed me to fit. That's question number one. And if you don't know, here's a question that might help you figure that out, and that's question number two. What is your God-given passion? What moves your heart? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Do you love children? Are you driven to help the poor? Do you long to see God's word go forth? Are you somebody who is moved by the idea of international missions work? How about foster parenting or adoption? Do you long to see families flourish? Do you love to just help people with practical projects and just come along and sprinkle a little salt and shine a little bit of light in their lives through the practical things that you're able to do to help? We all have things that we're passionate about, things that turn us on and get us going. And when we find that intersection between our gifts and our passions, we might just be in the sweet spot of how God designed us to live, not just as individuals, but as a congregation, as a family, as the body of Christ. And when that happens, for a lot of us at the same time, God uses his local church to transform the world one heart at a time. You were not created to be a spectator. And so if you find that your life as a Christian has more to do with spectating than it does with action, then I'm just gonna call you out right now and tell you, you and God need to have a talk about this because you were not designed to be a spectator. God has designed you, yes, you, to be an essential part of the puzzle that is the church that reflects his glory. And nobody else can take your place. We're all in this together. And together, God's changing the world through his church. Isn't it time to leave the bleachers and get out on the field and use your gifts for what God has called you to be about? I just challenge you today. Don't leave this here. Don't just go, okay, that was interesting. Now, where are we going for lunch? I want you to actually grapple with this this week. Wrestle with God. Seek his face. God, reveal to me what it is that I'm passionate about and gifted in and how you might use me. And then begin to pray about how you might apply that. It's time to take up your role in the picture. Take a step. Get more involved with what God is doing. Your life will never be the same. Let me invite you to stand so I can pray for you.
Lord, we are your church. We are your workmanship, your design. We are your children, your family, those whom you love. We are the reflection of your image to a world that desperately needs to see that image. We are the light that is meant to shine in the darkness by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, individually and collectively. We are the salt of the earth, meant to bring preservation and flavor to life. Lord, help us not to just sit in a closet somewhere, wondering how come you never use us. Speak to each individual heart. Train us, God. Uh, Call us. Light a fire under us. And help us, Father, to step up into the amazing work that you're doing in this world. What a privilege to be a part of this church family. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.